0: Well, hey, we're in the middle of our Psalm song series, and this week's song is a classic. So sing along if you know it, and sit back while the band plays us in. The scene. I won't cry. I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear just as long as you stay Stand by
1: it up for the worship team Benny King is in the house absolutely oh so great I mean I love this series I don't know about you we have people all the time that say yeah first time I came to your church you were singing taking care of business or whatever I mean you kind of remember the song that you entered on so uh, congrats to any of you who got to join us for the first time with that song. Uh, my name is Janice. I'm so glad to be with you today. Um, our pastor is taking a bit of time during this month um, for some solitude, for some uh, structured retreat time. He was actually here for first service, but he's out visiting another uh, church in the community today. So you'll be seeing him out and about. But um, be in prayer for him. When you're meeting with God this month, um, because he's going to be really um, doing some concerted effort to hear from God, particularly for himself and for the church, uh, doing a little fasting, and he's got some stuff planned. So anyway, um, I'm here instead. Yay. All right. Psalm 118. That's where we're going to be today. We always take a psalm uh, and connect it to a song. So if you have a Bible with you, you can head over to 118 or a device. It will always show up on the screen behind me. Um, King David uh, wrote this particular psalm, and few of us, including King David, no matter how gifted, no matter how fortunate you have been, have ever really won all of your battles on your own. Right, this is not a solitary business that we are in. We usually need somebody to stand by us in one form or another when we are hard pressed, when something is going on, and nothing reveals our personal theology like hard times. Right, the way you interpret that really reveals how things um, are with you and how you see God in a crisis or when you're facing a lengthy battle that maybe takes the wind out of your sails. Um, and King David, as he writes this, had as much room as anybody to feel confident, right? In terms of facing trials on his own, King David is the guy. He is good looking. He, uh, the scripture tells us he is ruddy and had good looks. He uh, is favored to be a war hero. He is uh, anointed by God in the presence of his own family by a renowned prophet, Samuel. So he knows his destiny early on. He marries into the royal family. He ends up with military at his disposal, tons of loyal men at his uh, beck and call. And yet, he mentions that when he is hard-pressed... He does not mention a human they got him out of trouble, right? When he is hard-pressed, he leans on God. Because even being at the top, being um, at the very top of whatever your, you know, captain of your industry is, you can feel lonely and tired. So when you are hard-pressed, who stands by you? What do you lean on when you're in a fight? Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, and I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies." It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous, for the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. You know, when David reflects in this psalm about the places where he thrived, where he survived and overcame, again, he does not tell us the name of a person. He tells us that God is the one. So when you think back on your own life, maybe you're in the midst of a crisis right now. Maybe you can remember a a time or a year when there was a, a formative moment, a transformative moment in your trajectory. Without a doubt, there are a few people who stood by you. And there were probably quite a few who did not stand by us. But regardless, it is good for us to reflect it is good for us to reflect what got us through. Notice that when David is writing this, this is a past tense psalm. This is not a psalm written in the midst of the fight. There are several of those, right? I love those because he's very emotional and he talks about what's happening and who's chasing him and all that stuff. And, and if you read the other uh, scripture, you know, first and second Samuel, you actually hear the narrative. And then you read psalms and that's when he's in the, you know, hiding in a cave. No, no. This is David later in life. This is David writing later in life about how he got through times when he was hard-pressed. I don't know how many of you are writers. I don't know how many of you reflect and take regular record of what's going on in your life, but I know there are some of you. I, I recommend it. I recommend that you write down what's happening. For those of you who didn't take any notes during 2020, friends, Right? There is a generation that's gonna wanna know what, what was going on. And it, you know, it was day by day, wasn't it? That's a, I, one of my good friends was like, I hope everybody's writing this down. Get this, get this down, how you're feeling about it, right? It is good for us to look back and reflect on how God got us through something. Now, maybe you're too young to have had any major crises. Live a few years and you will have a few. And maybe you know what I'm going to tell you about mine is, please, I'm not trying to one up anybody. There's so many people in this room. I know your stories. You got way, way more on your shoulders and have been through much more than I have ever been through. Some of you have been through a, a hard time where you lost a child, or a divorce, or or lost a pregnancy, whatever. You've had crises like that that I can't even begin to identify with. But I can tell you that even if you haven't had a one big huge event sometimes you know the thousand paper cuts right the whole lot of things that stack up together that hit you at one time and create a perfect storm sometimes that can be it and you live long enough you'll have a year that stands out and for me um i have that year it was um a long time ago 1992 i was going to say how many years ago i'm not even going to try 1992 was a really we were nine years into our marriage All right? Life was good. We had three small children, and then we got pregnant with twins, and it was a very troubled pregnancy. Weirdly enough, this is also the point in our life where my husband decided that he wanted to quit his job and become a preacher. And I was like, I didn't marry a preacher. I was really not interested in the ministry. And instead, he he quit his, you know, wage-paying job to go to Bible school, which meant that our income was a little spotty you know what i'm saying it was a little sporadic we generally had about 2 weeks of money left at the end of everything and so it was a, a kind of a stressful time add on top of that that my father was dying Uh, my father, which Joe talks about, was a wonderful man, died at 54, but he was dying of leukemia, and I kept hoping he was going to last long enough to see the twins be born. I was struggling to carry them as long as I could, and he was struggling to stay alive, and he missed it by six weeks. um, I delivered six weeks after he died, and that was a pretty big deal to me, and then within that year, we packed up and moved to take the first pastorate that we served out in Oklahoma, and we moved a thousand miles away away from all of our family when, and this, uh, children, this is before the internet or cell phones, okay? So there was no communication except the snail letter, snail mail letter to talk to anybody because I didn't even have a landline for two weeks, right? All of that stuff rolled up into one thing. In one particular year, I was 27 years old, gave me gray hair that seriously went away (laughs) when life settled out. So weird, right? I knew I was under stress. Do you know psychologists have a weird little stress chart? Um, I'm not sure how accurate those are, but they give like a point value to certain events in your life. Like, you know, a divorce is this much, losing a, a parent is this much, losing a child is this much or whatever. And they add it all up and tell you how close you are to, you know, losing your brains. Um, I, was really, I was really high on that list, somebody pointed out. And it, it, was a weird, it was a weird, weird time. What gets you through the most challenging year that you've ever had when you look back what is it and who stood next to you during that time and here's what i love about the bible the bible is not filled with a bunch of perfect specimens of humanity who managed to get through life alone instead i am so intrigued not by all the leaders in scripture i am so intrigued by the people who stood next to them I'm so intrigued by the people who were like in that number two spot, in that support role, right? They weren't like the lead actor, but they were a supporting role that allowed the lead actor to do whatever it is that they were being called to do. I call them a prop-up story, all right? We're going to look at one of those, and then we're going to come back to Psalm 118. Exodus 17. You can go there with me if you want or just follow along. Now, Exodus 17, let me set it up, is Moses and the children of Israel are, have just left Egypt. They're out in the wilderness. And this is the very first big battle that they have against the neighboring Amalekites. Okay? So they are a bunch of slaves. They are a slave nation. They are not a military might of any kind. And they are being called upon to, um, to handle these enemies that are in front of them. Exodus 17, starting in 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of the men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God. He had a staff in his hand, just like you see on, you know, in the books and on TV, right? A staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now, Aaron is his brother. If you know know any of this history at all, Aaron is Moses' brother. He's his right-hand man. And then Hur, we don't know a whole lot about. There's a few people named Hur in Scripture. But most scholars, particularly the Jewish tradition, holds that Hur is a relative. He is either um, Miriam's son or Miriam's husband. So he's either a brother-in-law or a nephew. Okay, so two brothers, maybe a brother-in-law and a nephew, are up here on this hill, according to Jewish tradition. As long as Moses held up his hands, staff in hand, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, stand by me, right? so that his hands remain steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword, and then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Remember, write stuff down so that you can remember what God has done. Then I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven, and Moses built an altar there and called it The Lord is My Banner. Now, just just a few... things I notice in this scripture, okay, that in terms of what it means to stand by someone. First of all, and I don't have these in a number, they're in a bullet point, the posture of the leader matters, the posture of a leader matters. I don't think it's any accident that I'm speaking this on the first Sunday that Joe is starting his, uh, his time of really leaning into what God is saying and, and setting aside a whole lot of his other responsibilities so that he can focus directly on doing that. The posture of our leader matters. Where are their feet pointed? Where are their hands pointed? Where are their eyes looking? What is it? What direction are they going? It matters if you're taking people with you and you're not just on a walk right? So the the posture of a leader makes a difference. And notice this, even God-chosen leaders can get tired. There is no shame in fatigue. There's no shame in fatigue, not for leaders and not for you. There's not a single place in scripture where God chastises or Jesus chastises anyone for getting tired. As a matter of fact, it looks like Jesus took more naps than the disciples did. You know, the fact that he actually met up with the Samaritan woman is only because he sat down at the well because he was tired and sent the disciples on to go get hamburgers at Mickey D's or whatever. They go on ahead to get food and bring it back. The only reason there's an opportunity there that he takes with the Samaritan woman is because he sat down to rest. There's no shame in fatigue. What are we going to do when we get fatigued? That's what matters, right? Trying to avoid it isn't isn't the answer. And then next I noticed that his closest friends prop him up. His closest friends or the closest people to him at that point prop Moses up. And I'm thinking, what, what is was going through their mind? You know, are they thinking, how do we keep this guy in the game? We can, by the way, Moses was 80 years old here. He's 80 years old. He was. He spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in uh, the wilderness, and another 40 years taking the the Israelites where they needed to go. So he's fully 80 years old here, and can you imagine holding up something for however long it takes people to? I can't hold. Some, you know when Joe baptizes somebody here, and we all get tired after he prays, and we're like, I can't do it anymore. And you're doing this right, and you're like, I should have done curls before baptism day, right? It is like, how long can somebody do that? They're helping hold him up. And I noticed that they do it not initially by grabbing his arms, but they're taking weight off of him. They're like, here, here's a, here's a stool. Here's a rock. Sit down here, right? They're taking off pressure in some other area of his body so that he can use the parts of his body that only he can use to affect this change that's going on down on the ground, right? So they need to keep his arms up so they eliminate other pressure, That's what we do when we reach out to help someone. When we're holding somebody up in crisis, we're not doing the thing that only they can do. We're doing everything else. We're mowing their lawns. We're doing their laundry. We're bringing them food. We're doing all the things that anybody can do to eliminate that pressure. Maybe we're paying their bills. We're doing things that help them settle in and do the things that they can do. Notice this too. That the, that the stick that, that Moses is holding up, the rod of God, is not some magic stick that he could have passed off to Aaron. Here, Aaron, you hold it a while. You know what I mean? And then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take a turn. Give it to her. Give it to her. No. This was something only Moses could do. This was the power of God being affected through this leader and blessing the, the, the battle down below. And so they're helping him do the thing that he needs to do. Okay? Here's another thing. They stand on either side of him to support him, right? One on one side, one on the other, and they have to be able to reach his hands, which means they have to be close enough to reach him. Sometimes the reason we don't have anybody really standing by us is we won't let anybody that close. We're like, back off, dude, don't get in my business. I got this under control. I don't need you. Don't touch me. Don't get up in my business. How can we as a church hold each other up if we won't let someone in? We have to be able to let someone in, and we have to let someone close enough to see our fatigue. You do not see in the Scripture. Maybe he did, but you never see Moses going, dude, help me. Moses was a proud individual who struggled to delegate. He, didn't, he took on all of the weight of this on his own, so much so that his father-in-law, Jethro, has to come along and go, dude, you're doing too much. Delegate a little bit, right? He's not good at asking for help. So he has to let these guys in, has to let them in close enough to see what's going on, to see how tired he is, to see when people are wavering, right, and, and, to, and to figure out, and maybe even to experience some of the failure. You know, I, I, I just, in my mind, I'm like, how long did it take them to recognize the hands-up winning, hands-down losing, hands-up winning, hands... I just wonder how long it took to figure that out. It makes me think of uh, when my husband took me out for my prom. I wasn't permitted to go to prom. I was raised in a tradition that believed that bad things were going to happen at prom, and so I wasn't allowed to go. But he was allowed to take me to dinner. And so he took me to a five-star restaurant. Now, understand, I was a little farm girl who had never been to anything fancier than Burger King or like imagine golden corral of the day, okay, that was, that was the extent of my experience, I don't think I'd ever been to a tipping restaurant even, and uh, so I, I made a dress, and he took me to this restaurant that had a maitre d' and overstuffed chairs, and I was out of my league, I had no idea what to do, and I walked in, and I followed the, the maitre d' to my chair, and he pulled the, the chair out for me, and I felt really awkward about it, so I went over and pulled out the other chair and sat down, and now I'm 18 years old. And now my, the poor guy's holding the chair for, for, you know, my husband, then boyfriend, Joe. And he's, they're both embarrassed. I don't know what to do about it. And so we sat down. They screwed up the whole evening because now our dinners are wrong because they do it all by memory. And they're under the bill and all that. And it was wrong. And anyway, and, so, and I'm just trying not to touch anything. And some crazy waiter comes by. And, you know, I had a big tall napkin and grabs it from behind me and goes, wow smacks that thing in the middle, snaps it, and lays it across my my lap, and I nearly hit the chandelier. It was so bad. So I'm trying really hard not to look at anything, and I'm just not having a good time. And all of the waiters are lined up on the wall wearing black and white. And I remember I was finally feeling confident enough to look around the room, and I looked around, and, you know, the waiter started to walk toward me, and, and I looked down at my food, and he went back, and And, uh, you know, and I looked up at him again, and he walked toward me, and I looked down, and he walked back. It just happened about three or four times. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Joe, do not look at the waiters. If you look at them, they will come. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just imagining Aaron and her. How long did it take him to, like, connect the dots? And the poor guys on the ground are like, you know, the ground is going this way and that way. You know, what does it take? You have to be close enough to recognize what failure is and what winning is and what's going on, the next thing they do is they keep his hands steady. Keep them steady, right? We help people when they're wavering, not, not from a lack of faith. We're not saying that Moses was about to become a heathen. He was just getting tired doing the work that God had given him to do. And he's just wavering a little bit. And we're supposed to be with each other in those moments. It does not mean that you're weak when you, when you waver, when you get unsteady, when something's going on, when you get a little shaky, right? Moses was not meant to be the only guy and to bear all the responsibility. So, according to David, and back to Psalm 118, what is it that keeps us steady? How is it that we can help Hold each other up. I think there's a few hints in this particular psalm. How to stand by someone. First of all, repetition. This isn't really my point, but it's just an overall point that I want to mention. Repetition is huge in this particular uh, psalm. Now, understand that the psalms, many of them are songs to be sung as kind of a call and response. Like, I say go, you say team. I say go, you say team, right? So we're kind of doing that bit, and there's a bit of repetition involved in that. When things are repeated in Scripture, they mean something. When you, when you see something repeated or said a couple of times, there's emphasis on that. There's a reason why something has been told a few times and written down a couple of times. So I'm intrigued by the things that gain repetition in this particular psalm. Um, so when I think about what we repeat, here's a few things that we repeat and why I think we do it. We repeat things that we mean, right? I love you. I'll say that a few times. I really do. I love you. I tell my grandchildren that often. I never want them to forget, I love you. I tell the one little fellow, you are a good boy. I'm going to speak it into being. He's going to be a good boy, right? You know, whatever it is, we say the things that we mean. We repeat things also to remember them. Right? If you're ever out and you you know you need to remember a number that you don't have any place to take a picture of it or write it down, and you're like, you know, br five four nine br five four nine. You repeat it to yourself, and you, you're like, you get the first four numbers, I get the last four. And you know, we used to have to remember phone numbers. You don't need more now. I think the worst thing is credit card numbers. But we repeat things to keep keep them in our head to remember them. We also repeat things that we need someone to believe. I didn't do it. I did not leave the garage door open. I promise. I did not do it, right? I say it over and over again. I did not do that. I didn't do it. And then we repeat things to convince ourselves, right? Right? It's not your fault. It's not your fault that Frank is lost. It's not your fault. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Whatever it is that you need to tell yourself to get over these things, right, that I need to believe. We also repeat things that we can't say any better. Things that can't be said any better. Like Worship. I've heard people say, oh, this new worship music is so repetitive. They keep saying the same thing over and over again. I grew up with hymns. Do you know that there's a chorus in almost every hymn that gets sung at the end of every stanza? And uh, there's a whole lot of glory, glories, and hallelujahs in there because it can't be said any better. It cannot be said any better than hallelujah. That's just the way it is, right? And listen to this. In Revelation, at the end of time, 4, 8, it says, In heaven, day and and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. If you don't like repetition, friend, buckle up because we're going to get it in heaven because there are some things that can't be said any better. And we're going to keep saying the truth because we also repeat things that are true right? David says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me. He is my helper, all right? So, number one, I think that when we want to help people and when someone stands by you, they should remind you and help you recognize what lasts. They should help you recognize what lasts. The first four verses says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. To the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. God's love is forever. It lasts. And almost everything else that we can think of, folks, doesn't last. Can you remember buying something that you thought would last longer than it did? You know, you didn't buy cheap, but you tried not to buy for the brand name. You tried to buy quality somewhere in the middle, but doggone it, it broke way ahead of time. And you're like, that should have lasted longer than that. We're trying to figure out what we can depend on when in reality, almost every physical thing in this world is going to expire. Jerry Seinfeld did this amazing bit on materialism that I absolutely love. All right? He, he describes himself as a, uh, let me get it right, he describes himself as a thrower-outer married to a keeper-saver right? And some of us can relate, right? I am definitely the thrower outer. He's like, I threw away the wedding album. I thought you were done with it. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, no, she wants to save things. But this is what he says. All things on earth only exist in different stages of becoming garbage. Your home is a garbage processing center where you buy new things, bring them into your house and slowly crapify them over time. If I can say that in the vineyard, right? You're all excited when you get something new and you open it on the kitchen table, the place of honor for a new arrival. Objects start at the highest level, visible in a living area. And from there, it is demoted to a closet, cupboard, or a drawer. And then, that is why we have those. So those phases, nothing ever... um, Wait a minute. And then it goes to the garage. One of the longest phases, nothing ever makes it out of the garage and back into the house. eBay is its only hope because now such items are mailed where we mail garbage back and forth to each other. And the final stage is a storage unit where we pay to visit our garbage. All of that makes sense to me because the things that we lean on, the things that we have in this world, whatever physical stuff, including our bank accounts, friends, are in a period of decay. Everything is on its way out. For that matter, even commitments and promises and relationships can end, right? People break promises. People die. Even relationships are all in a bit of flux, except for God. He's the constant. His love and his mercy Endure forever. A good friend holds somebody up by helping them lean on the thing that will last forever. In Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and is to come, the Almighty. So one of the ways we stand by each other is helping each other, reminding each other what is worth putting stock in. Everything else is in flux. Number two, somebody who stands by you should remind you and help you recognize what is safe. Help you recognize what is safe. This is how David put it in the psalm. When hard pressed, I cried out to the Lord and he brought me to a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Down in eight, he says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge or safety in the Lord than to trust in princes. I love that some versions say, uh, I cried to the Lord and he set me free. He set me free and brought me to a large place. Do you know that the only way to teach your children what is safe is to point out what is dangerous? You have to be able to point out dangerous things. I'm not saying expose your children to every nasty thing that's out there. I am not saying that you throw them into an evil pit and see if they can claw their way out. I am saying you show them the dark and the light. You show them the contrast so that they can begin to make those choices on their own. If all they ever see is safety, how will they ever know that the stove is hot, right? You have to demonstrate that there are things that we stay away from. You do not help your children by pretending that there's no evil in the world we show them clearly the difference. Blissful ignorance um, is never going to help us, right? Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. The Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So where do you really take refuge when times are hard? And who do you run to when you're really afraid? Or do you find ways to mask your fears? I'm interested the way David says, you cannot trust in humans, and you should not trust in princes. What he's saying to me is you cannot trust in the human relationship, and you cannot trust in government. Relationships are great. Give them your all. You know, I'm all about marriage and longevity and the whole bit, but my, my life with Jesus is not wrapped up in that. I've said this so many times. If my husband, you know, has some moral failure and goes off a cliff tomorrow, that's not taking me with him right? My relationship is with God. Each of us stands with God alone. He is our constant. Likewise, I'm not going to trust in some government to hold my life together. There's no safety in that. Have we, and have we not seen it? And folks, there is another election coming. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. There's another one coming, all right? And so we're all just going to buckle up because here at the Vineyard, you can vote any way you want. Because we're not going to hold that against each other. That's not what people do. That's not what the people of God do. You know why? Because our safety is not in getting a government sympathetic to our causes. That's not where our safety is. Our refuge is in Jesus, not in the government that you want so that you can wave a victory flag and run around the the, the town with that. That's not what we're aiming for. We cannot trust in princes. We cannot trust in humans. The invisible presence of God will trump the physical presence of the most sturdy human ever. Right? My husband is the most sturdy human ever. And yet the invisible presence of God trumps that all day long. The invisible presence of God trumps the physical presence of the most honorable government you could ever dream of. Or hope to get into power every time. Seek his face. Seek God's word. Seek his peace. Third, we need someone to stand by us who will remind us and help us recognize where the power lies. Recognize where the power lies. In verse 10, he says, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on the other, every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. Power is found in the name of the Lord. Power is found in his name. I cannot describe it. I just know that it is in his in the name and in his hand. when I was a small child, we lived on a um, about a five acre patch. My father farmed, but we didn 't own a lot of land and we had a little barn about mm, eighty yards behind the house where we kept a milk cow and my uh, my papa milked mornings, we milked nights and so my brothers and I would have to go back there to milk this cow and i don 't know why I was doing this alone, but I remember as a child in the dark, carrying a pail of milk up to the house, scared to death of the dark, All right? I mean, there was a night guard out there somewhere so that I didn't trip or fall, and there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we were in the wild. Nothing was going to get me. I was just petrified, and I would sing a little song to myself. It was some little Jesus song I had learned at church or whatever, and I would just keep saying Jesus' name, and I would just say his name to drive away the fear. And I cannot describe to you the presence and the protection that I felt doing that. And that's not just a childhood tactic. When you are overwhelmed with whatever you're overwhelmed with, if, if fear grips you in the middle of the night like it does me, the things that I cannot control only come to me in the middle of the night when I actually can't have no recourse either, right? I can't handle whatever the problem is. I can't deal with it, whatever it is. I have to physically and out loud say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. I have to send fear packing in the, in, in, out loud, in an audible fashion in the middle of night the, because there is power in that. And we believe here at the Vineyard that the power of God will heal. We have seen it. So at the end of this service, if you are somebody here this morning who knows that you need some healing over something and you're, maybe that you've not told anybody yet that you're battling, that you're afraid that you're battling, that you're waiting on a test to come back, whatever it is, you're going to have an opportunity. Just put that in your pocket, and I'll give you a minute, and we'll, we'll call you for that, all right? It's interesting to me that David had every reason to trust his army, his soldiers, his military might, and he didn't. He gave credit to God and his name. He was wise enough to recognize where victory came from. So when you're winning, give credit where credit is due. When you have escaped the hand of the enemy, give credit where credit is due. Recognize and remind others of the power of his name. Colossians 3, 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. John 16, 23 through 24, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What have you been needing? What do you need to ask him for? What are you afraid to ask him for? Ask for it in his name. Number four, we usually only have three points. I couldn't leave this one off, right? Number four, we need someone around us to stand by us who will remind us and help us celebrate. Who will remind us and help us to celebrate. Verse 15 from Psalm 118, Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. His right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Romans 12, 15 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know, it's so much easier to mourn with those who mourn. Have you noticed that? It's so so much easier to feel bad for people when bad things happen. And it's easy to celebrate with people, but only if they have less than you, right? But if they get the thing that you've been wanting, if they get the spouse that you've been hoping that you would get a spouse, if they get the baby when you've been wanting a baby, when they get the job that you've been aiming for, it's harder to be happy, isn't it? It's harder to rejoice in those moments. But we're called to stand by one another. Rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. Moses' posture for victory is significant. His hands are raised, maybe open-palmed in reception of God's power, maybe extended holding that rod, um, a blessing um, from God's right hand. Either way, it is a raised hand that is also raised in victory, right? And that's the expression of victory. Have you been to a football game? When people are winning, do they keep their hands down here? And they're not just making, you know, like field goal signs, there, I mean, raised hands is a response in victory. It's a natural sort of thing that we do. It is a natural response in celebration and enjoy. It is a posture of victory and worship. It is a reasonable response in worship. Celebration is also a group activity. I love this. Right, we all want a person or two to help us celebrate anything significant. Right, what good is a is a job promotion or uh, finding out that you have a baby if you can't tell anybody? We want to we want to celebrate with each other, right? And in fact, in the last part of Psalm 118, there's language of "Are you ready?" A parade. I love this. Psalm 118:27. The Lord is God; He has made His light shine on us. With bows in hand, we will join in the festal procession to the horns of the altar. Who will stand by you and throw a blooming parade for you? Now that's standing by someone, right? Be with them. Where do you need to remember what he has set you free from, right? Because parades are a way that we remember something that we've won and where we can recall and relish a win parades are used to celebrate royalty they're used to celebrate heroes but mostly victories over a known enemy that's how parades are are thrown in history right so when we are remembering and recalling and relishing a win we're extending the emotion okay we're going to keep this victory going Is there a victory in your life that God wants you to keep going? Do you need to name your enemy that you have conquered and you need to celebrate that? Is God calling you to celebrate a little better, whatever it is, so that you can extend the win? When we throw a parade for the victories that God has accomplished in our lives, others will see and learn about God's power. Others witness that. They witness what he's accomplished in us. Let's come to our feet. Our um, worship team is out here and they're going to sing a final song. But before we do that, we like to give people an opportunity to respond and for us to pray over some people. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to list a few things. And if it's, if it's hitting you where God was speaking to you, um, I'm going to invite you to come forward so that I can pray over you in a general fashion as we go into this last song. First of all, I am aware that there are some of us in here who feel like Moses. We really like to do things all on our own. We really don't want people too close to us. We don't like to delegate. We like to get it done. We like to to know that we're competent. And yet this morning, you know you need a rock to sit on. Your faith isn't in trouble. You're just a little weary. You know, you're just a little tired. And uh, it'd be nice to have somebody pray over that with you this morning. If that's you, could you, could you come forward over on this side? If that's you, if you're feeling like, you know, you've got life pretty much by the tail, but holding your arms up all day is, is wearing you out and you're a little bit tired. You don't have to tell us any details about it. Is that anybody this morning? Just need a rock to sit on, just for a bit. Yeah. Come on over here. Anybody else? No, it's not a huge thing, but the battle is just lasting longer than you thought it was going to last. You thought you'd have this whipped by now, and you don't. And things are heavy. It'd be nice to have a couple people close to you if you just didn't have to tell them too much. All right, the second thing that I'm thinking of is people who honestly need some healing. And you would love to have somebody speak the name of Jesus over you this morning and we will pray and cast out whatever is afflicting you in the name of Jesus and watch to see what God does. If that's you, would you like to come up over here? If you would like healing this morning for something, come up over here. I'm telling you, this morning I prayed over the sweetest little child that might have been seven years old. He told me his belly was hurting. We will pray over that, okay? Come on up. Anybody else? You don't, I'm not going to ask you to announce your affliction or anything that's bothering you. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But if you know that you could use some healing and you would like to have the name of Jesus spoken over you this morning, come on up. That's right. Anybody else? We have seen healing. We believe that God still heals. He does, right? He does. Anybody else? Maybe it's something nobody even knows about. It might not even be terribly physical. It might be, you know, you need some healing for your mind that you are afflicted with thoughts that you would love to be rid of and they are just bothering you and you would like some relief this morning. You come up and stand over here. And then finally, I've got one more more group over here. Maybe you're out there and you're like, I want to be Aaron and her. I want to be the guys that are willing to stand right there, and I will hold people up all day long. But, you know, my problem is I don't know people very well. And if you don't know anybody in here, if you've been coming to this church for a while, if you've been coming more than eight Sundays and you can't name five people in here, how in the world can you hold them up? We've got to find a way to link arms. We've got to find a way to meet people, not just come in and get your coffee and hear great worship and go home, but to come in and actually engage with each other. We've got small group opportunities, we have all of that. But if you feel God kind of prompting you this morning that you need to get a little more involved, maybe you don't even know how that's gonna happen, but you know that you have the capacity to hold people up and you want the opportunity, why don't you come over here, I wanna pray for those opportunities for you. Is
0: that anybody?
1: Um, everybody, come up. Who's asking for prayer? Come up a little bit because the prayer team now. I'm going to invite you. If you're on the prayer team, come up and stand behind. Just go wherever you feel God and the Spirit directing you to pray over people. Make sure that if you're up here and you stay until you get prayed for. Okay, because if and if you don't get prayer, hold your hand up so that somebody will know and come connect with you. There's one here. Okay? And you guys can pray for more than one person. If God, the Spirit directs you over a couple of you, that's fine. And, um, and you can, you know, put your hand on someone's back and, and pray for multiple people. But let me just pray first as we go into this last song. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these group of people that are vulnerable enough to come up and say, uh, Father, we want, we want more of you. And so right now, God, particularly for these people who need healing, in the name of Jesus... I ask for absolute health. In the name of Jesus, let all disorder be gone. In the name of Jesus, anything causing illness, causing um, disease, be gone. In the name of Jesus, you are not welcome here. God, you are a God who heals, restore every cell. Pull people together that their bodies work. God, we don't ask for long life. We do not ask to be here forever. We ask to be able to function well in the vessels that you've given us so that we can continue to do your work here. And so, God, I pray for relief from pain, from uh, a a diagnosis that is frightening. I pray for relief for all of that on these people. God, for those that are feeling tired, God, I pray for um, rest, absolute rest on these folks rest and care, that they can catch their breath. Give them a moment to catch their breath in the middle of the storm. And God, put people around them. Let us link arms, God, with the people who are here and hold each other up. Build our relationships together so that we can serve you better. You can stay up here as long as you like while they finish this song.